0: Okay, here we go. Get in the message time. Uh, uh, let's, uh, I believe God's got a word for us today. I hope you'll receive it. So let me ask you a question. How many know what an oxymoron is? It's not an idiot who takes oxycodone too much. It's not what, uh, that's not what, that's not what, what's an oxymoron? <laughs> it's when you take two words that, that sound opposite, but when you put them together, it's got a whole new meaning, right? Like uh, jumbo shrimp. See, that's just, is it jumbo or is it shrimp? Okay. Constant change. Well, is it constant or? does it change? Does that make sense? How about uh, uh, civil war? Can you be civil and be at war at the same time? I don't know. Uh, act naturally? Do, are you acting or are you being natural? Which one are you doing? Politically correct. I ain't even touching that one. We'll just move on. How about soft rock? Can you be soft and be a rock? I don't know. Here, here's a good one. Short sermon. Why'd you laugh? I don't understand what that is. <coughs> there's so many of those, but you get the sense of what I'm talking about. What you may not know is that there's one in the Bible. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18 in the NIV, I've given it to you, it's on the screens. You can go to the app, to, uh, to the Bridge app, and you can get all the message notes and all of the scriptures. Follow along with me, save it to your journal and take your own notes, but let's read it together. Okay, here we go. Uh, for Second Peter three eighteen. 18, 1, 2, three, go. go. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I understand growing in knowledge... That means learn more, learn stuff you don't know. But how do you grow in grace? I, I Grow in grace? How do those two things go together? I mean, if grace is God's free gift that you receive by faith, how do you grow in it? What does that even mean? Hear me, guys. It only makes sense. Growing in grace only makes sense when you finally understand that growing in grace is not about how many. Growing in grace is about how much. Growing in grace is not about how many, it's about how much. It's not about how many meetings you attend at church, though I want you to come on May 16th. That's not what it's about. It's not about how many Bible verses you memorize. It's not about how many minutes you spend in devotional time. It's not about how many Christian books you read. Growing in grace is not about how many anything. I mean, those are important activities to your growth, but, but doing them does not necessarily guarantee that you will I mean, if going to church and and reading the Bible guaranteed growth, all I'd have to do to get in shape is go down to the gym and sit in a lawn chair and read a book about exercise, right? There's a little more to it than that. There's something you got to do in order to grow (coughs) in grace because growth is not about how many, it's about how much. Growth is about how much closer are you to God this year than you were last year. Growth in grace is about how much more you love your wife, and kids because Jesus is operating in your life? How much more uh, is your character becoming more like the character of Jesus Christ? That, it's that much, okay? It's how much more gracious am I with a stranger because of God's grace operating in my life? Growing in grace is not about how many, it's about how much. And so as we continue the series that we're in, that we're simply calling Amazing Grace, We're kind of trying to understand this multifaceted diamond we call grace. I want us to lean in today about this idea of growing in it. You see, grace was not just given to us to start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is really about continuing to grow in that relationship. The problem is that accepting grace is not a guarantee that you will grow in grace grace. Does that make sense? But hear me, Peter did not give that as an option. Did you see that, did, did that verse sound optional to you? It didn't say, if you kind of want to grow, grow. It didn't say, here, here's a suggestion for you, grow. What did it say? Grow. He just said grow. Grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, not measured by how many things you do, but measured by who you are. So in the time we have this morning, I really want to kind of give you a formula, simple formula from Scripture that will help you to understand this growing in grace thing and and hopefully kind of measure how you're doing. And before we leave here today, we're going to make some commitments together as a church family that we're going to grow in grace this year. So go in your Bible. If you brought a Bible or you got a smartphone or go to the app, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 22 to 24, I've given it to you in the NIV in our notes, and uh, and I want to show you what I call God's formula for growing in grace. We're going to unpack it a little bit, and then I'll let you go, okay? Uh, We'll beat the Baptist to the restaurant, I promise. i promise. just bear with me. Okay, here we go. You ready? Paul wrote these words, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, (coughs) which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, this is not a trick question. Do you see two parts to the formula? Yes? No? Do your heads like this if you say, What are the two parts? Part one is put off the old. Part two is put on the new. So, what does he say is the old stuff? Look at the verse, it's right there in the verse. What is the old stuff? He's talking about the stuff that the culture taught you that, quite frankly, fed your flesh. It seemed attractive to you when the culture taught it. It went, hmm, that looks good, right? But in fact, it led to corruption, death, right? You understand, Jesus said, I came to give you life and that life in all its fullness. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, the lies that the culture will teach you, that seems good to your flesh, in fact, leads to death, Paul said, put it off. So if you really want to grow in grace, the first step in this journey is put off that old junk. I I like the way Dr. Chris Thurman, is a Christian psychologist, (coughs) has become an acquaintance of mine. I I read one of his books and and shot him an email, figured he'd never see it, but I shot him an email and said, man, you just blew my socks off and just rocked my world and I got an email back from him and we became email partners for a while. But here's one of the things from his book. Uh, let's read it together. Okay, it's on the screen. Here we go. Behind every self-deceiving beha- defeating behavior is a self-deceiving lie I'm holding on to. One more time, let's do it together. Behind every self-defeating behavior is a self-deceiving lie I'm holding on to. Think about that for a moment as we unpack this. Because I've seen three lies that people who have embraced grace, received grace, have gotten a fresh start with Jesus, are still holding on to. Three lies that if we don't challenge our thinking, we will continue to carry this junk from our old self into our new life, and the result is, we never find the fulfilling life that Jesus promised we never find the abundance that he promised because we're still holding on to the old stuff. Paul said, if you really want to grow in grace, you got to put off the old before you put on the new. So let's unpack it. Three lies that I see. Lie number one is I grow by doing good things. I grow by doing good things. Look at somebody and say, that's a lie. Just look at somebody and say, that's a lie. Now hear me. We believed that was true before we embraced grace. We believed that was true before we came to Jesus. But if you want to grow in grace, if you want to grow to become more like our gracious God, you got to change your way of thinking. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 9 verse 17. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins, If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, I I know you probably don't have wineskins in your backyard, so let me unpack that just a minute, make sure we're in this thing together, okay? In those days, in Jesus' day, they they put wine into leather pouches. And the reason they love to do that is when you first make wine, grape juice, what happens? Anybody knows? Uh, The winos among us, I mean, come on, you know. Come on, you know what happens. It ferments, and and, and that creates gases and creates expansion. And so you you need a leather pouch or something like that that has room to expand. Otherwise, this new wine, while it's in that expanding period, will burst the thing. Well, an old wineskin that's gotten brittle will burst, and you'll lose the wine. That's what Jesus said. So you need a new wineskin to put new wine in. You need a new container to put new ideas in. And so this old idea of I grow, I get better by doing good things has to go away. You need a new wine skin. Here's what you need to know. You will never grow by doing good things. It just doesn't happen. It won't get you there. You can do a good job of rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. You're still going down. Does that make sense? It's kind of like being in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in a rowboat. Just imagine yourself in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in a rowboat, and you're rowing as hard as you can, trying to get to either the East Shore or the West Shore, but you know it It occurs to you in exhaustion, I, there's nothing I can do to get to shore. I'm going to die in this ocean. And about the time you're ready to give up, a big old ocean liner comes by and picks you up. And you go, wow, this is amazing. I'm on the ocean liner. And it's filled with food and activities and all kinds of wonderful things that you can do. But it occurs to you, I'm not in charge anymore. I I don't get to set the direction of the ship anymore. I don't get to decide how fast it goes or how slow it goes or where it goes. There is a different captain now And that's a little unsettling when we're used to being in charge of our own lives. Are you with me? You tracking with me? Do you guys like this? And so what do we do? We say, bring my rowboat and put it on the deck. And we get in our rowboat on the deck of this big ocean liner and start rowing and saying, God, aren't you proud of me because I'm working so hard doing this amazing stuff and you are doing nothing but beating your wings. You aren't getting anywhere. You're not accomplishing anything. God says, I got new things for you to do. I I got a new way for you to live. You're working yourself to death, and you don't have to do that because it's never going to get you where you need to be. It's time to trust me, God said. Believe me when I say I've charted the course for the direction you ought to be going in. Trust me. Lie number one is if I do enough good things, I will grow in grace. Line number two, I don't want to spend a lot of time because I want to get to the truths, okay? Line number two is I grow by keeping the rules. <coughs> I grow by keeping the rules, you know, smoke, cuss, drink, or chew, or hang around with girls to do. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Isn't that wonderful? What does the Bible say? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, or 13, 9. Your heart should be strengthened by, what? God's grace, not by obeying the rules. What's he saying? He's saying that growing in grace is not about keeping the rules. In fact, when you stop and think about it, rules actually inhibit growth. Is that true? When a child is three, he has lots of rules to obey, doesn't he? When he's 13, there are fewer rules for the child. I mean if you're still still telling your 13-year-old not to touch the stove because the fire is hot, you might have a problem. <laughs> right? So there are fewer rules as they get older and more principles to reason by. Does that make sense? You know, when a child is very young, he never leaves your sight. But then when he gets older, you let him go stay with his friends for a while. Put some boundaries and curfews on there. You check to make sure it's safe. And, and so in time, you begin to, to release the rules in favor of reasoning by principle. If you don't, when they're ready to go out on their own, they won't survive. Because they learn haven't learned how to deal. And that's why the mission of every parent is to help our kids move from rules to principles. That's our job. And can I just say to you, young people still living at home with your parents, teenagers, whatever age you are, if you think your parents are holding on to the rules too long, you know how to get them to change? Demonstrate to them that you understand the principles they've been teaching you and you're reasoning maturely through them. The more they see you do that, the more they'll listen to the rules because they trust that you understand the principles. One of my sons came to me one time, (coughs) wanted to go to a gathering that I knew he wasn't ready for, and he said, don't you trust me? I said, you know what? I think I trust you as much as any 13-year-old I know. But no, I don't trust that you're ready for that. Show me that you're ready for that, and we'll talk. And so demonstrate that. Show them you can reason maturely, and you'll watch it. Bottom line is, rules don't produce growth. Any more than the speed limit out there on Highway 70 makes you a safe driver. The only thing it does is it makes you slow down enough that your stupidity won't kill somebody. If you get it, okay, my stupidity won't kill somebody. The speed limits don't make you good. They show that you're bad. (laughs) Because... Am I right? Because if everybody was a safe driver, you wouldn't need any speed limits. Everybody would drive a safe speed. And so they ultimately show the exact opposite of what we're talking about, growing to be more like him. So I'm not saying there are no moral standards or ethical standards. I'm not saying that for a minute. Of course they are. Christianity has the highest ethical standards on the planet. But I am saying obeying those standards won't make you grow. They won't necessarily lead you to maturity. Lie number three, you ready? I grow by beating myself up. I grow by beating myself up. Look at somebody and say, that's a lie. That's a lie. (laughs) But I see Christians all the time. They they got this idea that if if I feel bad enough about the bad stuff I'm doing, I'll quit doing them. You ever know anybody like that? Don't throw elbows, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Is it true? No, it's not true. It doesn't change anything. Uh, the fact is, I, I think sometimes we get this idea that, 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 that God is this cosmic killjoy, this, this heavenly police officer who's ready to get us, and, uh, and, and maybe, if we beat ourselves up long enough, hard enough, that when we finally stand before Him, He'll be easy on us. Is it? Is there any truth in that at all? No. The truth is Romans 8:34. Who, then, is the one who condemns? What does it say? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised for the life is at the right hand of God and is What does it say? interceding for us. He doesn't just not condemn you, he's praying for you right now. He's cheering you on. He wants you to succeed. He's praying, "Father, I was tempted in all points just like he is. She is, and I know what it is to face that temptation. Would you give him a little extra grace right now? Would you give him a little wisdom right now? to know how to deal with that thing. Jesus is praying for you right now. And in your darkest hour, in your most difficult time, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you. He's not condemning you. So stop condemning yourself. It will not help you grow. If you mess up, own up confess it. He'll forgive you. Keep short accounts with him. Just remember how much he loves you on the journey. Bottom line is you don't grow by doing good stuff and you don't grow by keeping all the rules and you don't grow by feeling guilty. So put your old self away. Got it? I got one got it over here. Got it? Put your old self away, OK, Pastor Jim, I hear you. Uh, I, but if that's not how you grow, how do you grow? I'm so glad you asked. You buy What well, go back to Ephesians four? What did it say? Put, here we go. You got it. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, and instead, do what? Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's he saying? He's saying, put off the lies and put on the truth. He even tells us what the th- three truths right there. Do you see him? Truth number one, we're created to be like him. Truth number two, he is our true righteousness. Truth number three, he's our holiness. So let's just lean into that for a few minutes and see if we can capture this one because it's huge. Guys, this is so Huge! I posted it on Facebook this morning. Some of you have seen it, and I've seen some posts from First Service already that that have blessed my socks off. Some of the people that are watching online uh, were blessed by the the message this morning. This is huge, guys. I kind of wanted to rush through that first part because I want to really get this part, um, because this changes everything when we finally get it. Put off that old junk. Put off those lies. Say I will not allow those lies to continue to define me. I will not grow in grace by keeping rules and trying to be good enough and beat myself up when i'm not good enough i've got to put on the truth what are the truths truth number one he is god i am not but i'm created to be like him understand that we were created in his image expressly for the purpose of being in relationship with him and the only thing that's happened is that image got tarnished when sin got introduced That's all that happened. And so the journey that we're on and that God is on is to rebrush up, clean up the image of God that is in us, that he made us to be like him. Now, he didn't make us to be God. We're not going to be gods one day. But he did call us to be like him. Don't have enough time to unpack all the details of what it means to be like God. But let me ask it this way. How do you become like God? Oh, let me answer you this way. How do you become like anybody? You spend time with them. You study them. You learn everything you can about them, right? Kim and I <coughs> have been married for 42 years. When we first got married, I thought I knew everything there was to know about her. Yeah, I'm stupid. What can I say? That's just that's what I thought. Okay? And it wasn't it wasn't long at all after we moved in together that I discovered we're not just alike. We are the exact opposites. always amazes me. I do, used to do premarital counseling, and I meet with these couples, and I say, so, so you want to get married? Yeah. What you got? We're in love. <sighs> what else you got? Well, we just, we got so much in common. Oh, yeah, well, how about the opposites? I mean, because we're just opposites. Opposites attract, right? And then they attack, right? That's what True, it's what happens. Kim was detail-oriented, and I was the big-picture guy. And, and Kim was a morning person, and I liked the night. And, and Kim was a neat freak, and I was a slob, okay? <laughs> Kim was a planner, and I was spontaneous and kind of make-it-up-as-we-go kind of people. And, and we're still naturally bent in those ways, but what's happened over the years is I've become more like her, and she's become more like me. It's amazing how we get into conversations sometimes, and I'll actually look at her and say, Did we switch roles somewhere along the way? You're talking about being more spontaneous and I'm talking about being more organized. How how do we get here? Something's happened over the years where I've become more like her and she's become more like me. Why? Because we've spent time together. We've studied each other. We've learned from each other and we've seen the strengths of each other's hearts and ultimately we complete each other instead of competing with each other. This is not a marriage message. I just want you to hear that the same thing is true in terms of being like God. You spend time with Him. From the first moment you get up in the morning, spend time with Him. Instead of getting up in the morning like I do sometimes, good Lord, it's morning. (sighs) Get, Get up more like Kim does good morning, Lord. I mean, it's just kind of a completely different approach to it. I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it. (coughs) He says, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. Is that true? You got that picture? And the first job of each morning consists in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other Larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in from the moment you wake up. Be conscious of the presence of God. And listen for him. Like the little girl who prayed one day, So far today, Lord, I haven't cheated or cussed, lied or gossiped but I'm going to get up in a few minutes and I'm going to need your help. <laughs> From the earliest time in the day, spend time with him. And then throughout your day, <coughs> spend time with him. And don't let all of your time with him be spent talking. Sometimes you're spending time just listening. I saw Dan Rather interview with Mother Teresa many years ago that's just stuck with me over the years. And I get that image when I think about being still and, and knowing that he is God. Dan Rather asked her, you know, obviously amazed by her person and all the things she's accomplished, this simple, poor woman from the poorest parts of the world in India. And he, he said, so when you pray, what do you say? And Mother Teresa said, I mostly listen. You ought to listen to what God is saying to you. You might be amazed by the wisdom that comes. But the bottom line is this. You were created to be like him. Sin has tarnished that creation and your job now is to do what you can to move back toward restoring that character of being like his son, Jesus Christ. That will only happen when you spend time with him. And I'm sorry, but one meal a week on Sunday morning ain't going to get you there. It ain't going to get you there. The second truth that you've got to pick up on is that Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Here's how Jesus said it. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, 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 wait, no, whoa. You, you, You just told me that I'm not going to grow in grace by keeping the rules. You just told me I'm not going to grow in grace by being doing good stuff, and now you're telling me that my righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Aren't those the guys that kept all the rules? Aren't those the guys that, that counted the leaves on their mint plants and tithed one out of ten of them? Aren't they the guys who who wore these things on their foreheads they called phylacteries that kept copies of the rules so they could walk around and say, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm keeping all the rules. And you're telling me now that my righteousness has to exceed that? But you just told me that I'm confused, Jim. Well, I was too until I understood that the only way you can exceed this kind of man-made perfection is if you get a better kind of righteousness. The better kind of righteousness is not the righteousness you get from being good enough. Isaiah said that kind of righteousness is as filthy rags. Paul said, I count mine as being Dung. It's the kind that is imparted to you because of Jesus Christ. It's the kind that he lays over you and puts on you when you accept his free offer of grace. As I mentioned, it's free but it wasn't cheap. Hear me guys, if you want to grow in grace, if you really want to grow in grace. You got to get rid of the old lies, the old junk that said, I, I, you know, I'll keep the rules. I, I, I'll, I'll obey all the rules, and I'll do lots of good stuff, and, and I'll beat myself up when I get it wrong. You got to get rid of that junk, and you got to embrace the idea that my call is to be like God, which means I spend time with him, and in spending that time with him, I accept his offer of his righteousness over me. Therefore, I will walk with him and I will learn from him and I will do life with him and I will walk in the unforced rhythms of grace, which leads us to the third truth that's huge. This is where I really wanted to land this morning and I want you to lean in. If you went to brunch, come back, okay? I want you to get this. Not only was I created to be like God, and Jesus is my righteousness, but Jesus is my holiness too. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be, what? Holy and blameless in his sight. Whoa, 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 No, whoa, whoa. There you go again, Jim. You just told me I can't, I can't do enough to be good enough, and now you're telling me, I have to be holy and blameless in his sight, and he sees everything. I mean, he sees me for reals. I mean, you know, he knows what's even in my heart, not just what I say, but he knows what I think. I mean, and you're telling me now that somehow I don't understand how that works. Here's how it works. Paul isn't talking about what you do. He's talking about who you are. Holiness, guys, is not the color of the car you drive or the dress you wear or the language you use. Holiness isn't about what you do. It's about who you are and most importantly about whose you are. Jesus becomes the covering. What does it mean to be holy and blameless in His sight? It means that when you appropriate grace and you make a commitment to put off the old self and put on the new self and say, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into who he is and I'm going, to, I'm going to learn more about him and become like him in the process and I'm going to let his righteousness be my covering because mine is his filthy rags. What happens is when the Father, the Holy Father sees you, he doesn't see you at all. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that covers you. He sees the love of God that covers you. He sees his son that says, I've uh, paid the price for his sin. Look in the book. You'll see his name. It's written there in my blood. Now, here's the problem. <coughs> um, I mess up. A lot. Anybody with me? Yeah, okay. God bless that hand. I see the hand. God bless that hand. I see the hand. The rest of you just messed up. You just lied in church. I'm just... <laughs> I mean, I do stuff I wish I hadn't done, and I don't do stuff that within minutes I'm going, why didn't I do that? I'm going to mess up a lot. So this idea of grace, this is, this is huge, guys. Get this. This idea of grace is, 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 is huge. we got to get it. And it is that when you mess up, you own up, and God forgives. You, you keep short accounts. But your problem is not that you have sins or that you commit sins. Ultimately, that's not your problem. Your problem is that you have sin. Remember I said earlier in the series, if you were here, that, the, that if you want to understand sin, look at the letter in the middle of the word sin is about i want to be in charge i want to be in control i want to be the captain of my own fate sins are the way sin shows up sins are the symptom that the nature of sin is still here sins are what happens because i'm still holding on to my sinful nature you see you don't just have sins you've got a sin factory and so you get those forgiven, and then you just go out and make some more. Sometimes you make the same ones again, over and over and over again. And you may say, man, I'm just, I'm just a loser. What can I say? Well, I say, welcome to the human race. I mean, even the Apostle Paul struggled with this thing. Look at Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 17. Look at what he said. And you tell me if you relate to this, okay? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Middle letter it is still that I want to be in charge I'm gonna be in my rowboat and I'm gonna be flicking these oars all I want I know it's the cruise liner that's taking me to the shore but I'm gonna pretend I'm still the captain of my own fate give me a break I'm the captain of my own fate you can't even figure out where you want to go to lunch today and you're the captain of your own fate but we all have to deal with this guys We all have to deal with it. That's why Jesus prayed in that final prayer before he went to Calvary. He included this, John 17, 15 through 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now I realize that word sanctify might not be a word that you kind of walk around using every other sentence, you know, kind of throw it around a lot. But it simply means to deal with that I. It means to deal with that who's in charge. It means to deal with, am I gonna be the captain of my own fate or is God and his word gonna determine how I'm gonna live my life? And so Jesus said, sanctify them, Father. In other words, make them holy and blameless in your sight, not because they're getting it all right because we're never going to be less human this side of eternity, but because they have decided, hear me, they have decided who's in charge. And he is God and I am not. He's in charge. I am not. And I may chafe at that sometimes, but when I finally get it, from my head to my heart, I rest in that because he loves me, but I have to make a decision who's going to be Lord, who's going to be the CEO, will it be me or will it be him? What? Difference does it make? Let me show you what difference it makes. The same Paul who said those words, wrote those words in chapter 7, established that Jesus Christ is the answer, and by the time we get to chapter 8, verse 37, it's the same Paul who wrote, no, in all these things we are, what? More than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Do you see the contrast of those two things? Do you you see the, oh, wretched man that I am. Why do I do this stuff and I don't do this stuff? I am more than conqueror in Christ Jesus. Something changed in his life. And I think what changed is Paul decided who's really in charge. I believe Paul accepted Jesus not just as Savior. He accepted him as Lord. And I believe with everything in me, that it is the secret for many of us to finally break free from some of those self-defeating behaviors based on self-deceiving lies that we've been carrying. I believe it's the secret to putting off the old legalisms that we've been trying to do our best to keep the rules and be good enough and beat ourselves up when we're not and put on the new self based on the truth of God's word. I was created to be like him because he loves me and wants a relationship with me. And he is my righteousness. He is my holiness. He is in charge. And when he is, then my answer to him is yes, sir. Well, you haven't heard the command. doesn't matter what the command is. My answer to him is yes, sir. Can I tell you? Can I tell you who I am? We're just getting to know each other. I'm a 19-year-old kid from Bladenboro, North Carolina that said, Jesus, I'm yours. You tell me where to go. The answer is Yes. You tell me how long to stay? The answer is yes. Tell me what you want me to do? The answer is yes. And from that day to this, I don't know of a single time that he's made it clear to me, here's what I want you to do, that I said, "Uh uh-uh, not going to do it. And he's taken me all over the world and done amazing things that I never dreamed that a little kid from a little town in the corner of North Carolina would get to experience simply because I said, I don't just want you as my savior. I want you as my Lord. Are you getting this? It's huge, guys. It's huge. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrased Ephesians four, twenty two to twenty-four. We'll close with this. Everything and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life, has to go. Get rid of it, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. That's Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And because I see that you are God and I was created to be like you, and in relationship with you. And now I see that my righteousness is as filthy rags, but I can take on yours. And now I see that I will never be holy enough in my own right, but I can be holy in your sight because of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers me. When I see that, I get to live in amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. I don't have to live under legalism anymore. I don't have to live under this bondage of, did I keep the rules right today? I get to live free in Jesus Christ. Will that affect how I live? Of course it'll affect how you live, but not as a means to get grace because you've received it, and that's what I want for you in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us while we were thumbing our noses at you. While we were doing our own thing, running our own way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) pretending to be the captain of our own fate. Now hear us and see us as we confess boldly, standing in front of the throne of grace, I don't just need Your grace in terms of forgiveness. I need Your grace to grow. I want to be like Your Son, Jesus, and I'm not there yet. I want His righteousness and His holiness to cover me. I'm counting on it. I thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. It will be a powerful prayer if you pray it and mean it from somewhere down deep. Pray in your own words. You can pray silently or aloud. I don't care, but... God's listening, and I hope you'll pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. I accept grace. Now help me, Lord, to accept your lordship. If there's anything in my life that doesn't look like you, I don't want it, so show it to me. My answer to you will be yes, sir. If there's anything you want me to do, I want to do it. Show it to me. My answer will be yes. If there's anything you want me to change, I want to change it. My answer to you will be yes. All I ask is that in that journey, you'd make me a little more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.